If you do have a Bible or an electronic device that has a Bible on it, we are in Romans chapter 14. I'm going to try and get through a long section tonight because it all deals with the same subject, uh, an important subject that we hit all the time. Diets and days were causing disputes in the church at Rome. There were Gentile Christians in Rome who had been saved out of pagan idolatry. They were shocked to learn that the diet of the Jewish Christians included meat purchased from the marketplace. They knew from their former lives as pagan idolaters that some of the meat offered for sale in the public marketplace had once been part of sacrifice to an idol. They felt that those who partook of meat were thereby contributing to idol worship at the very least, or they were actually worshiping idols at the very most. There were Jewish Christians at Rome. They continued to observe certain feast days and fast days according to the Jewish calendar. They were offended when they learned that Gentile Christians had no regard for those observances. Such things still cause disputes like that in the church today. There are those who believe you must conform to certain dietary rules and regulations, especially those that are set forth for the Jews in the Old Testament. Disputes rage over Christians keeping or not keeping the Sabbath in the New Testament church. In fact, one of the, one of the commentators I really like, uh, William McDonald, in his commentary when he's talking about how we don't need to keep days and rituals and all that, and then he goes into a three-paragraph reason as to why Sunday is the Christian Sabbath and how you should keep this. And it's just kind of crazy how people mix all this up, and sooner or later you're going to... Uh, find somebody who, want, who says, you know, this is the biblical way to eat and these are the days that you have to keep as a Christian. Then there's other disputes we get into as well. Uh, dress is an issue that causes disputes in the church. Many churches publish strict dress codes and many others have unwritten but strictly enforced standards for their members. We, we believe that we Uh, are free here and have no dress code, but we have our own dress code. We have a casual dress code, and we force our casual dress code on visitors, quite honestly. After a while, people don't dress, uh, you know, in suits and ties around here. And so we don't mean to do it. We just are comfortable with it. I mean, it's just how we dress. But um, So don't think that we don't have a dress code. Hopefully, we're not enforcing it, but uh, people, you know, they get it. Diversions are a cause of dispute among Christians. The entertainments and recreations and hobbies that you choose as a diversion from your daily life cause no end of debate among believers. And so the eternal question is, can't we all just get along? And the answer is yes, and Romans 14 is how we do it. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Most of these disputes are triggered by those who are weak in the faith. Now, this is a person who has scruples over matters of secondary importance, like Gentiles worrying about meat sacrificed to idols, or a Jew who's a Christian thinking every Gentile should observe the Sabbath. A mature Christian can be weak in the faith about a certain practice. It's not a matter of maturity versus immaturity. It's not a matter of being immature in the faith of the gospel. It's a matter of your personal faith regarding some practice. 
And so you can, be a, you can be a Christian for decades, be a mature man or woman of God, but have a, a real scruple, uh, a principle in some area that is not commanded or condemned in the Bible. And in one sense, because it's an area of liberty to others, uh, you are weak in faith in that area. So we need to quit thinking in terms of I'm more mature the more liberties I have. Or I'm more legalistic the fewer liberties that I have. That has nothing to do with anything. Those are our own designations. And so receive one who is weak in the faith, uh, but not to disputes over, over doubtful things. Receive not to disputes means don't make it your goal to change that person's mind about things they are doubtful over. Respect tolerate one another's preferences. That in itself, extremely difficult for us because we want everyone to, to agree with us. We want everyone to be on the same page. I remember years ago, and you're going to laugh at this, there was a, there was a gal in the church and um, we were talking about something. It was probably an election year. Or there was an election, and, and we, were, we were talking about something, and she made this statement. She was stunned. She was genuinely stunned. She says, you mean there are Christians who are Democrats? <laughs> she couldn't believe that that was even possible. It just totally blew her mind. Of course, none of you believe that either, but, <laughs> but it, there are. It's kind of crazy. And so people, uh, we're not supposed to be changing other people's minds about these, da- you know, and, and this is where these disputes come from. You think, wow, you believe that? And we're talking about something that's not really an essential part of the gospel. A doubtful thing is any belief or practice that is neither commanded nor condemned in the word of God. It is something we have freedom to partake of or to participate in or not to. Hey, if you want to keep the Sabbath, Go for it. Do it. If I don't want to keep the Sabbath, I'm not gonna. And you know what? We just can't get together on Friday night because you're busy keeping the Sabbath and I'm doing something else. And uh, I don't really care if you want to keep the Sabbath and you shouldn't really care if I don't want to keep the Sabbath. We'll see why in a minute. Now, examples of those whose faith is weak are given in verse two and five. Verse two, for one believes he may eat all things But he who is weak eats only vegetables. Take that, vegetarians. (laughs) But the deal here is the vegetarian in Rome was the Gentile Christian who didn't want to risk eating meat that might have been previously sacrificed to an idol. It was perfectly all right to eat it, but not for him. Some of you, you got saved out of something. You turned to God from idols. You got saved out of something, out of a lifestyle You don't want to go back to it. It's not a liberty for you. It's not something that that you can partake of or participate in anymore. That's all that this is saying. Verse 5, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. The Jewish Christians were those in Rome who continued to esteem certain days according to the Jewish calendar. They were convinced everyone must esteem those days, that it was more spiritual. And this always ultimately gets into the argument that it is more spiritual to have my scruples, my principles. 
It's more spiritual to keep the Sabbath. It's more spiritual to be a vegetarian. But here Paul is saying, no, actually those people are weak in the faith. They're not weaklings. They're not Christian wimps. Remember, it just means that they don't have faith in that area to partake or participate because of some prior conviction or some conviction that they've come to. We've already had the exhortation in verse 1 to receive the weaker brother. It's up to us as a fellowship to get along with each other. What follows is how we do it. Hey, the last thing you want to do is be with a bunch of people who, only, who believe exactly what you believe. There was a Twilight Zone episode like that one time. The guy couldn't get along with anybody. He was cross and mean and bitter and... He wished at some point, I forget how it goes exactly, but he wished at some point that everybody could be like him, and he woke up the next morning, and everybody was him. He played all the part, and it was a miserable, rotten, messed up world when everybody was you. You treat yourself like you treat others. I mean, it was terrible, you know, and so we don't want a church like that. I don't want a church like that where everybody's exactly the same, and we shouldn't, but we should want to get along with each other. So let him uh, who eats, verse 3, n- uh, despise him, n- let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. I think Paul's technique was just to confuse him with smoke and mirrors, use words that nobody understood, you know, in verb tenses. But anyway, what he's saying is that God has received us all into the fellowship of his son. That's pretty heavy. So how can I refuse to receive someone whom God has received? So a person comes and says, I'm a Christian. I've been born again. I've had an experience with Jesus Christ. My sins are forgiven. He's my Savior. He passes all the litmus tests. He says all the right words. How can you not receive that person into fellowship whom Jesus Christ died for and received? And why would you want to dispute with that person over something that's really not essential at all? If something is not an essential doctrine or practice, I must not make it one and then dispute with others over it. And you know what the problem is? We make everything into an essential doctrine or practice. And so everybody would agree with this. They say, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we don't want to dispute over non-essentials, but I'll tell you what, the Sabbath is an essential. Huh. Meat sacrifice to an idol, that's an essential. And so it doesn't work if you make your soapbox unessential. You have to at least be mature enough to say, yeah, I can understand where this wouldn't be a problem for you. It's a problem for me. Can we, can we get along? How about when I come over to your house, we, don't, we eat you know, vegetarian chili? And, you know, is that okay? Because, it, you know, it's all right. We don't have to make a big deal about it. I just, I feel bad eating meat. I don't know where that meat came from. might have come from an idol worship and that kind of a thing. And so that's what Paul's talking about. Verse 4, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. The believer you dispute with over some diet or day, some dress or diversion, is God's servant. It's a matter for him to decide with the Lord. And hopefully we decide these things in our devotions and our personal time with the Lord where through our own study of the word and with our own backgrounds and with what the Lord is doing in our life, we determine what we can partake of and what we can't and what we can participate in and what we can't. Verse 6, because we already looked at verse 5, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord for he gives God thanks and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. 
One of the hardest things for us to acknowledge is the diversity and variety in the church. We can each be becoming more like Jesus Christ and yet be significantly different from one another. Verse 7, none of us lives to himself, none dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. The question to ask ourselves is everything I do, everything being done as unto the Lord? Of course not. Each of us has areas in which we are at best struggling. Rather than dispute with others, we should receive them the way God has received us, thinking more about our own walk with Jesus. The speck versus beam in the eye thing is really very practical. Just attend to your own walk with the Lord. Let other people uh, attend to their walk with the Lord. If they're not sinning, just because they don't agree with you is no reason to dispute with them. Verse 9, for to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. The gospel is that Jesus died and rose and is alive forevermore to save all those who trust in him for salvation. It may be a subtle way for Paul to say, hey, it's the gospel after all that's important, not your liberty or your lack of liberty. So Paul launches into the gospel and then he says, the Lord, he's the Lord of both the dead and the living. And so let's concentrate on the gospel. And when he says to this end, It seems to be a segue to what Paul will say next, that each of us will stand before the Lord. We will end up before the Lord to give an account of our life and not anyone else's life. You ever realize how often when you're talking to somebody and you ask them about something? uh, Well, marriage counseling, this happens all the time where you've got a husband and wife, they're not getting along, and you ask the husband a direct question, and he starts telling you what his wife does. And the same thing, you say to the wife, you ask her a direct question, and she starts talking about the husband does or doesn't do. When you stand before Jesus Christ, it's just going to be you and the Lord, and we're not going to be talking about anybody else. You're not even going to dare bring it up. Verse 10, why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now, this every knee quote is from Isaiah, where it applied to God's own people, to believers. The use of it here seems to argue that all the believers in the church at Rome, Gentile and Jewish, are one people who bow before the same Lord. And it's an appeal by Paul to say, you need to get along as one body of believers. Sure, you're from a Jewish background and you have all this you know, determination to keep these feast days and fast days. And yes, these are former pagan idolaters and they, you know, have these scruples about me, but there's one Lord and one body and all of us bow before that same Lord. And so we need to get along. Verse 12, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. You're going to stand before Jesus and you will stand alone. The stewardship of others will be of no concern to Jesus as he examines your life with a view towards rewarding you. Verse 13, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. 
not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Seems he moves out of the area of just disputes into something immensely practical, and that is how we are actually to behave around one another since we can't solve these disputes. I think Paul is saying we're not going to solve this. Some of the Jewish Christians are going to still keep the Sabbath. And if they do it as unto the Lord and they don't believe that it's necessary for salvation, so be it. And some of the Gentiles who came out of pagan idolatry, they are just not going to be comfortable eating meat unless they know exactly where it came from. And that's okay. And so don't dispute over it, but here's some practical tips. Judging others in this context seems to mean you've determined they are wrong for holding their position and you feel that you should change their mind. Better be careful because Jesus says you might cause them to stumble or to fall in their walk with the Lord. The Lord once said it would be better for you to have a 100-pound weight tied around your neck and you be dropped into the deep ocean rather than you stumble one of his saints. What is the stumbling block that could cause another believer to fall? Well, in verse 14, it says, I know and am convinced by the Lord that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. <clears throat> Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Now, there are, in fact, lots of things in the world that are unclean. Their sin. Paul wasn't talking about everything in the world being open to you. He's talking here about doubtful things. He says, uh, nothing doubtful is unclean of itself, is what he means in context. The stumbling block that could cause a brother to fall is you demanding and promoting your liberty to participate in or partake of a doubtful thing when you know it's a problem for another believer. If you have liberty in some doubtful thing, make sure you don't promote it in such a way that you grieve and destroy the brother whose conscience won't permit him to participate or partake. You grieve your brother if you try to force his conscience to agree with yours. Every believer must do what he truly believes and is convinced that God wants him to do. You destroy your brother when he follows you in your liberty against what his conscience tells him. Now, the word translated destroy means to cause the loss of something, and we would apply it to the loss of reward at the uh, judgment seat of Christ because that was in our context here. It doesn't mean they're going to lose their salvation or fall away from the Lord or anything like that. The word is used elsewhere of loss of fill in the blank, and here it would be a loss of reward <clears throat> because they are going against their conscience. They're not doing it as unto the Lord, and so it's going to be burned up before the judgment seat. So if you force your conscience upon your brother so that he partakes of or participates in some doubtful thing just because you do, even though his conscience tells him not to, then he's going to suffer loss when he stands before the Lord. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Your good is whatever your own conscience tells you is good in some doubtful thing that is neither commanded nor condemned in the Bible. But what is good or allowable to you will be spoken of as if it's an evil because you allow it to grieve and destroy God's work in your brother. So Paul says, yeah, you can do that. You can do that. That's a liberty. You can eat meat sacrificed to an idol. Not a problem. 
That's a good thing, but if you flaunt it and, and you force it on, you know, people, you're having a barbecue, you invite your friends over, you're, you know, you're, you're a Jewish believer and you invite your Gentile friends and you're having a barbecue and then after they've taken a few bites of, you know, uh, lamb, you say, hey, by the way, I got this at a screaming deal in the marketplace. They had just offered this to Bacchus. You don't want to be doing that kind of stuff, Paul says. Because it was good for you, you can do it, it's great. You're, it, probably Dave Ramsey would think it was a great deal. You know, you're buying meat in the marketplace, <laughs> how to save money and stay out of debt, but you're stumbling your Gentile friend who used to go to that marketplace and worship demons and eat that same meat with all the horrible practices that went along with it. And so this is what Paul is talking about. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Eating and drinking is a shorthand for all doubtful things. All of them are part of your temporary physical existence. Why fight about them or over them when we should be promoting the kingdom of God? This is Paul's way of saying, it shouldn't matter to you what you eat or drink or what day you observe or don't observe. You should either do it or not do it, depending on how it affects your brothers. What's the, so, okay, so you can eat meat sacrificed to idol. Whoop-de-doo-de-doo, you know? If it's going to stumble everybody, don't do it anymore. Become a vegetarian, I think is what Paul would say. Because in another place, he says, I became what? All things to all men in order that I might win some. Because he knew that righteousness, peace, and joy, the kingdom of God is what was important, not what I can do as, a, as an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Do you know this morning in the Bible study, he was talking about us being ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and he said, we're not like the UN ambassadors who claim diplomatic immunity and do all kinds of strange things. How many weird shows and movies have you seen where, you know, the, oh, I have diplomatic immunity. I can kill people. I park wherever I want. I can do whatever I want because I have diplomatic license plates. You can't do anything to me. That's not exactly true, but, you know. We ha- there, is a, there is diplomatic immunity. Sometimes Christians, they get into the idea that, well, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I have diplomatic immunity. I can do whatever I want. I eat whatever meat I want. I'll observe whatever day I want, force it on you, you know, that kind of a thing. No, G- Paul would say, y- you're not that kind of diplomat. You're the kind of diplomat who gives up his immunity and says, oh, I'm in, I'm in Rome where there's a huge problem with meat sacrificed to idols. I better get a vegan cookbook and figure out how, what this is all about, uh, or get out of Dodge, as they say, and get to where this isn't a problem. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. By definition, every Christian is accepted in Jesus Christ the moment he is saved. We are acceptable refers to our daily walk, to our sanctification, as we live to please the one who has accepted us into his family. You are approved by men means that if you have this spiritual mindset, you're not going to be stumbling others. You'll be approved by them to be able to minister to them and affect their lives for good. In other words, these issues won't come up. They just, they won't come up. Paul understood this. He said, hey, to the Jew, I become like a Jew. I know it's not necessary for my salvation, but why why freak out the Jews that I'm trying to save and and minister to and, and bring to maturity in Christ. Among the Gentiles, I, I'm like a Gentile. Why force my Judaism on them 
when, you know, when they have all these freedoms. And, you know, it, it's a hard thing for us to do, again, because we always think that the way we see things is the right way and, and is the essential way. This sometimes means that the believer who has liberty in some doubtful thing has a responsibility to abstain from it. Verse 19, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Some doubtful thing might be all right for you, but that isn't the overruling concern. The overruling concern is how you affect others for Christ. You've heard how, you know, if you're a missionary, especially to a brand new indigenous people, no one's ever reached them with the gospel before, and they put some disgusting live grub in front of you, you have to eat it. By the way, you don't have to do that in Japan or in other countries where people have gone before you. That's just ridiculous. So that's just disgusting. But I understand. I mean, if you're going to go someplace, you know, where they've, you know, the missionaries have never been and they say, hey, this is, you know, this is my, uh, a year's salary gone into buying this grub. Well, you better eat that sucker because you're a missionary and you don't want to offend that person. And this is, Paul says, guess what? You're a missionary all the time. And if you're in an area, if you're in a situation where meat is a problem, I know you're a carnivore, but you're just going to have to abstain or make sure that the meat was certified in a different way. This was meat not sacrificed to an idol so that you can prove it. I mean, it, it just, you know. The funny thing about this is we argue about these things now, but when you're standing before the Lord, you're going to think, oh, Lord, you know, I made, I took, I made a stand on meat. I was going to eat it no matter what because I'm a mature Christian. And by then you'll know, yeah, that was the most immature decision you ever made because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not meat. Oh, gosh. Verse 1 of chapter 15. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, not to please ourselves. You think you're strong, mature, enough to partake or participate? True spiritual strength looks out for the weak. And so you say, I'm strong. I can do this. I, I doesn't stumble me. I can eat this. I can go there. I can drink this. I can partake of this gray area liberty. Okay, you're strong? Prove it. By looking out for the weaker brother, that's a true strength. By taking the bullet for him, jumping on the grenade. Remember that part in Captain America where he jumps on the grenade? That's the whole movie. The rest of the movie stinks, but that's the whole movie. The little tiny scrawny guy, he thinks it's a live grenade and he jumps on it to save everybody else. That's real strength and that's why they chose him to get the steroids and become (laughs) Captain America. So then he had double strength. By the way, Captain America is a believer. But anyway, uh, verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. 
Just as Jesus lived on earth in such a way as to only please his Father in heaven, you should live uh, on earth in such a way as to only please your Lord who is soon to return from heaven. Your ability to partake or participate in doubtful things doesn't impress Jesus as much as your love for the weakest of his followers. When you stand before the Lord, he's not going to say, man, it was so cool how strong you were, how you could, you, you could do every liberty there was in the Christian realm. You, you, you could do it without sinning. No, he's going to say, you know, you, you were so strong because you gave up so much for the sake of the weakest of the brethren and to see that they didn't stumble. Verse five, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. God is patient with you. He comforts you when you see the vast areas of your life that are still under construction. You should likewise see your fellow believers as still under construction, Receive them the way God receives you as those in whom God has begun a good work and in whom God will one day complete his work. Bible commentators all quote Augustine in this section of Scripture who summarizes all that is said by this famous phrase, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. There are certain essentials that all believers must agree upon. These are any and all those things that are clearly commanded or condemned by the Bible. In these things, we must all be united. There are a great many non-essentials that believers might disagree upon. Diets and days and dress and diversions are just a few. In all these matters, charity, which is the old English word for God's love, must be supreme in your attitudes and actions. Charity will be shown in your tolerance of your brother's convictions, especially when in good conscience you disagree with him or her in some doubtful thing. The truly strong Christian defers to the weaker brother. And remember, it's not a matter of the truly mature Christian versus the truly immature Christian. All of us are immature in some areas. There is something in your life that bothers you when you see other people do it, even though you have a suspicion that it really is a liberty in Jesus Christ, but just not for you. It doesn't make you immature. It makes you weak in the faith in that area. If you're strong in that area, defer to the weaker brother. Uh, get along. Don't dispute. Amen?